Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. I think I'd I'd kill you. Okay. I think I'd have to. It'd barely be worth your while. Look at me. Hi, I'm Joe Marler. And I am Tom Fordyce. And this is Things People Do. Some people do amazing things on this show. We meet zookeepers, politicians, astronauts. And some people who do other things, like supermarket managers, teachers, drainage engineers. Because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. See, I used to hate people, but this podcast has changed me. And now I can't get enough of people. And the weird and wonderful things they do. Okay, so your bone is a bit like a Cadbury's Crunchy. The guy with a toilet brush took up his bum game. Oh. Fantastic story. I have been caught to in a customer's car. <laughs> On the show today... My name is Tom and I am a survival expert. What can that centipede do to you? It's just excruciatingly painful. I don't know how to put pictures up. Not an issue on a desert island. I want to whittle some wood. It's another wanking euphemism. <laughs> and the guest has taken us back to the gutter and I fucking love it. <laughs> I wonder what's the longest he's been on a desert island for. Yeah, or if he's ever been attacked by pirates. Right, this one's going to be a fun one. Welcome to Things People Do. Tom, hello. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's quite a, a strange start because we met previous to this encounter um, in the toilet, didn't we? That's where I like to shake hands. Yeah, we did actually shake hands <laughs> in was the it, toilet. Was this a pre-arranged encounter or a, the toilet's in this building or somewhere else? Toilet's in this building and we were both at the sink and I was washing my hands and then I heard this voice said, Oh, hi, Joe. And I went, Hi. Said, I'm coming on your show. I went, oh, amazing. I'm Tom. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, my hands are wet. He was like, I like meeting in the toilets. Like, <laughs> we shake hands. So we did. We shook, and my hands were wet. We shook hands. Had you, wet. had you washed your hands with warm water and soap at this point? or Yes. Okay. Dripping wet. Actually, it was too wet, wasn't it? In many ways, it's the cleanest time for a handshake. I had seen you have a good wash there. Yes. So I felt confident. We do have a problem, though, Joe. And it's a repeating problem. We have more guests called Tom mm. than any other name. Are you doing this on purpose because of your narcissism? No, simply so we can help the listener understand which Tom you're referring to. How would you like to... No, I meant, uh, are you booking people called oh, Tom? <laughs> yeah, just to make it. It makes me feel better to have more people with my name in the room. Yeah. So, Pod Tom, mm-hmm. what do you want to be? Because I want to call Survival Tom... Tom. But I can't, but listen, I really like Tom in the very brief time we spent together. But the fact that he's usurped me as Tom on our podcast when we've been doing it for three and a half years <laughs> stings a little. Do you want to be T-Dog? I just want to be Tom. Oh, fucking, okay, I'll call you Survival Tom. Is that okay, Tom? That's survival okay, Tom. Joe. Right, Survival Tom, what sort of survival do you specialise in? Now, I know you didn't want to be called a survival expert. You're actually a... Well, I, I teach wilderness bushcraft, but I'll, I'll take survival expert, but we're always still learning. I want to be a bit more humble about it, I guess. And, of course, I can't call you wilderness bush Tom. <laughs> wilderness bush survival. Bushcraft, yeah, bushcraft. bushcraft. So using... It's, it's basically primitive skills, so it's making things from our surroundings, from, from flora and fauna, like base-level survival. So I, I actually focus in desert island survival. <gasps> I run a company called Desert Island Survival, and we take people to uninhabited islands and create castaway experiences. Whoa! Wilson! (laughs) Like that? Just like that. Have you ever had a castaway shout that at you? We've had many people bring the volleyball with the blood hammer. Really? Yeah. And uh, you now, like, fucking grow up. First time was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you say to them? (laughs) Uh, the customer's always right. I'm always like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> How did you get into this, Tom? Is it true, because this feels like an enormous jump, that you actually used to work in IT? I, I used to sell software in Maidenhead. Oof. And I felt like my soul was eroding every day. And, uh, and I was having pints with my mate Paul, and he was like, I'm walking to the North Pole. I was like, fuck, that's what I need. 
Well, there, right, th- well, straight after the pint. <laughs> he's going to have a pint just to settle his nerves. Yeah, and then, and then off he goes. North, off. Directly north from Maidenhead. And so um, and, like, I trained for two years. I walked to the North Pole back in 2010. And then that was it. Like that Pandora's box was open. It was very hard to go back to Maidenhead selling software. I met my wife. We moved to Chile. And the only job I could do in Chile was actually working in finance. So I found myself setting up pensions and <gasps> creating like investment funds for about seven years in, in Chile also noticing my soul diminish. And then I just was always dreaming about escaping the cubicle and um, I'm passionate about marine ecology. I wanted to go to parts of the world where humans have had almost no impact. I wanted to see like perfect, pristine reefs and uh, tropical islands from bounty adverts. And so I just had this idea of like, can I, can I be a castaway? And I noticed like no one was really doing it. I found one small company doing it. I went on their trip and it really fell very short of what I was looking for. The, the guy was quite coarse, misogynistic and militant and he didn't really do primitive skills. He just brought like a flint and things. And I was like, and the island wasn't so good. It was infested with sandflies. Like you're just getting bitten oh. every second. I could see lights on the horizon. I was like, if this was done with really perfect islands that are cast, like kind of cut off from society and really like on-point instructors, this would be an amazing experience. And so I was like, all right, let's do it, set it up. Are there actually any islands that are like that? Well, this is the challenge. So like to find, I've found three islands so far in seven years and looking for islands that are perfect for desert island survival. It's like, it's like looking for planets that can harbour life in the universe. You're looking for this Goldilocks zone of being close enough to tourism that we can at least get people in easily enough with transport. You've got a nice hotel before and after that you're going to really enjoy after you've been marooned. You've got a hospital in case of like injury and evac. But not, not too close that you like break the illusion of, of isolation. So you don't want lights on the horizon, you don't want boats coming past. You want like pristine wilderness. And, so, and that, that light sphere is always growing every year. And like, we're just about to lose our island in Panama. It's been sold for $12 million and they're going to build a hotel on it. It's, it breaks my heart. Oh, I love this island. Sake. I've been there, sat on the beach and seen like baby turtles popping out the sand and making their way to the ocean just as we're eating. And like swimming the phosphorescent plankton there and yeah, soon it's just going to be another generic hotel. So yeah, it's always, it's hard to find these islands, but we sniff them out. Joe, I can see from your expression that you are already fascinated what would you be like on a desert island? Is this a dream for you? I really enjoyed Castaway. I really enjoyed the film Castaway. I loved it. But that was twofold. It was because I love Tom Hanks. And then the thought of a bit of peace and serenity, complete alone, al- alonity, <laughs> uh, really appeals to me. I'd enjoy it for a little bit, but then I'd want to come home and I'd want to see people. And I'd also not enjoy it because I think I'd be really shit at surviving. Like, I don't know how to put pictures up that well. Not an issue on a desert island. No, no. <laughs> practical skills. Uh, yeah, practical. That's what I was meaning. Which practical skills, Survival Tom, in order of importance would Joe and I need to survive on a desert island? So when you're in a survival situation, you're normally thinking about shelter, water, food and fire. These are like your four kind of key elements. And then the other element is psychology. Of survival, when you when you start a survival situation, like let's say your plane went down or your boat went down, and you're suddenly on this island, many people like you know you're you're in a very heightened state, you're panicked. The best thing to do actually is nothing. You just sit there, you stop, and you draw breath. You try and get your heart under control and get some perspective, and then think about okay, what is my priority? Because some like maybe there's a storm coming in. And this could be the only chance you're going to get rainwater for a while. Maybe you're going to suffer from exposure. So shelter and rainwater collection are going to be the first things that you're going to need to think about. Yeah, or maybe there's predators that are going to try and attack you. And so you need to start thinking about making a, a weapon or making a fire to, to keep them away. So it, it's very much changes depending on, on what situation you're in. Right, Joe. Let's say we have been shipwrecked. That yes. You and I have been shipwrecked on a desert island. From what ship? Like a pirate ship? I hadn't thought about that. But if, if it helps, it's a pirate ship. Well, they're easier to go down because they're made of wood. Okay, so with us, the ship has broken up on a reef. You and I have made it ashore. So we're marooned. We are marooned. We've been washed up with some red paint and some blue paint. <laughs> the lid... <laughs> It's <laughs> fucking shit. What's he done there then? I was. It's good though because I was going to say to you. Yeah. I don't understand why it's called maroon. I don't understand. But that's the paint situations happened. Okay. We've also been washed ashore. There's some driftwood from the shattered hull. Mm. Um, we've got a crate of rum. Oh yeah. Dead man's finger or kraken? Your choice because you basically you stock the pirate ship. Kraken, and we will have 
5,000 litres <gasps> of ginger beer. Oh, superb. The Jamaican one, you know, the, in the yeah, brown Yeah, fiery. Bottle. Yeah, you know okay. that one. And we'll, ha- we'll have also had 10,000 limes. Wow. To make dark and stormies. And 500 kilos of ice. <laughs> this so sounds... that's what we're marooned with Okay. on this hot desert island, is it? So we need to drink these drinks pretty quickly because <clears throat> the ice is going. Get shit-faced for two weeks. No, Tom. See, that's where me and you differ here. So survival, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. I wouldn't eat the ice. I would start creating small craters in the sand and I would fill them with leaves, like pad them out with leaves, and then I would put like loads of them and then I'd get you to get all the ice and put them in all these holes. Why am I doing the ice? What? Why am I doing all the lifting with the ice? Oh, I can't fucking do everything, mate. Okay. <laughs> and so you're doing... You'd, okay, I'll help you. And then we let that melt, and then that's water. Joe's absolutely spot on, though. I mean, it's the place my my mind went exactly the same way. The most valuable thing you've got there is water. Wow. So when you're in a survival situation, talk about the rule of threes, which is three minutes without oxygen, three days without water, three weeks without food. And so most people end up dying from dehydration. And uh, this was obviously quite an unusual survival situation. Mm. But yeah, you definitely want, you need some containers. You've got to have some way of capturing that ice. I was thinking those paint tins straight away. Lovely containers, it's going to be a bit tainted. But um, <laughs> one of the things on every single desert island, sadly, is several thousand plastic bottles. It's now what we, we have in modern survival uh, but, opportunities. But of course, but on this occasion, can, that's going to we're work actually happy that there's plastic rubbish there that's been washed ashore because we'll use that, shall we? Yeah, and we've got. As our cups and or storage. Yeah, for storage, storage. there's water. For water. Oh, sorry, I think in like sort of IKEA-style storage solutions. We'll get to that. Once we've, set, once we've settled in, then we'll do the furnishings. But it's all about survival to begin with. Do you know what I mean? So we've yeah. got our ice. Of that's the rest now water. That's nice. The, the other thing I should have mentioned that got washed ashore with us, because it's a pirate ship, some remnants of the mainsail came with us, so there is some sodden canvas. We've captured our ice, which will become our water, What's our next important task, well, survival Tom? Sodden canvas is going to make a lovely shelter, isn't it? I mean, we could potentially make a hammock out of that as well. I think oh, yes. You know, sleep is critical. Without, without good sleep, our mental health is going to fall off a cliff and we're going to start to make bad decisions. We could use some of that for, well, we'd probably during the day use it for shade and, and during the night use that for a nice hammock, get us off the ground away from the creepy crawlies. We would only use it for shade, not for uh, monsoon rain, because it would become sodden again, again and just make everything... It's better to use the the tree leaves from the bush yeah, around we... to create the shelter <laughs> that we're going to live in. Isn't yeah, we're going to weave some palms and we're going to make we? a lovely, lovely roof from those woven palms. We're going to stack them up deep so you have multiple ones on top of each other and shingle them. Shingle. Like shing- shingling, like you see tiles on roof. Oh, That's I thought you meant we'd really... caught shingles. Well, we've been on a pirate ship, it's not impossible. No, but uh, lime and salt stops shingles. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I loaded up with limes. <laughs> and scurvy as well, of course. And scurvy. That's that's why they used to have so much salt. That's why we're called limeys. Limeys, yeah. Fire. Yeah, so we're we're going to have to make a friction fire. It's not going to be easy because we don't have any cutting implement. We don't seem to have a knife with us. One of the things you'll notice on uh, Castaway is he opened one of those boxes and he got an ice skate. And that was uh, how yes. he got his Cut knife. his hand. That's, yeah. That was how Wilson was created, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, ja- exactly. Jammed it on the rock and then... Psh. But we haven't got any ice skates on this pirate We don't ship. seem to have any, which is a shame because a cutting implement opens so many opportunities for us. Is there any way of making one? The best thing... I mean, you might find some flint or obsidian if you're very lucky, but normally clamshells on a, on a beach, you can break clamshells and you can get a, a rudimentary knife that way. It's not going to be great, but all we need to do is find the right plant. And in this case, we're looking for beach hibiscus, which is it tends to be everywhere. And we're going to try and find a bit which is what's called standing deadwood. So it's completely brittle and um, and dry, but it hasn't got like rotten yet. And we're going to snap that off. And another piece, we're going to flatten it out, and we're going to do a hand drill fire. You know that classic. Mm. I think he, I think it's oh no, he does the fire plow actually, which is another one. I reckon you'd be good at fire plow. You've got the brawn. Fire plow, which is where you get one piece of wood and another, and you're just pushing it back and forth um, until you-, you get enough. I know, I knew your mind would go that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we fire plowed the shit out of this wood, and it's it's sparked, is it? We've it's, got we've got like an ember, which is like at the end of a cigarette butt, and then um, you blow it. 
And, and then, yeah, we need to put that into a Tinder bundle, which is going to be... So the inside of coconuts... Coconuts are incredible. We'll talk about all the wonderful things about coconuts. But um, inside there, even in a rainstorm, you can open up a coconut, you've got these fibres, and you're just going to separate those, make a little bird's nest, and you're going to transfer that ember into there. You're going to gently um, wrap it, and you're going to blow on it, add oxygen until this combusts, and then put the Tinder on top and... It must be really satisfying when you've got that and you, and then you see the smoke start to go and it really starts to catch. Yeah. Do you have that feeling of like, oh, fucking? And it's I did my it. favourite thing to vicariously enjoy of our castaways, like seeing people light up. There's something very primal within us: the satisfaction of making fire for the first time. Oh, I, I want to do it now. Yeah. You're absolutely right, though, Survival Tom. It's just that point where it's almost there and it just goes. Mm. Are you worried, though, Joe, that when you're blown on it, you're there's a really fine line between feeding it just enough oxygen to... and not so much that you blow it out? I haven't got the breath to blow it out, mate. That, the technique you used there, just critique this for a survival, that seemed quite nice, quite gentle. So you sort of put your... Um, it's like a flautist. You put your lower lip out a little bit more mm-hmm. and you tuck your top lip in a little bit so you straighten it Overbite. so it's a bit tight. No, you don't bite... And you just... So you don't give out... You don't want to... Fuck it off. Do you know? Like you say... And then your jib goes all over and then phlegm it up. Because you want to keep your phlegm. Because your phlegm will help with calories. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think... Surely. Surely you then just... Every little helps. Yeah. So we've got our fire, Tom. We've got a fire, we've got our water, we've got our shelter. We're good. We're good to go. What else are we missing? No, that's mind. three. Hang on, that was three. The mind, Joe. You said what? You said there was a four, didn't there? There was food. Food. Yeah, we need some <gasps> Before food. the mind, we need food, of course. Before we do. mind, it's food. Where, where's the island we've landed on? Are there some... Off the coast of Mozambique. Ah, mm. so there's some wild boar about. <laughs> Not on this island. There's some bird life, <sighs> but they are easily spooked. But remember, we were wrecked. Our ship was wrecked on a reef, which suggests there may be some aquatic life. Survival, Tom, help us. Well, that's where your most of your calories are. Well, coconuts are huge amounts of calories, but it's basically ninety-eight percent saturated fat. But it's really good. Um, but yeah, aquatic life. So we don't have fishing equipment with us, do we? So we no. are going to be looking in the tide pools. We're going to be looking for uh, crabs and shellfish. There might be some edible seaweed which we can eat. You can actually just, like we've caught before, we've just sharpened sticks and we've managed to catch stingrays. Someone's caught a shark before just, uh, just with a sharpened stick. What sort of legend? Um, it was this legend, they need a name check. <laughs> that was a guy called James. Ah. Um, Humble yeah. name, extraordinary well, deeds. Well done, James. Um, so it's, it's surprisingly possible just walking up and down the tide line with a bit of patience. If we, if we catch ourselves a stingray, we've got one. Mm. We can gut that, surely, fillet it. Yeah with our shells that we've turned into primitive knives. Where's its barb? It's on the end of its tail, the barb, yeah. Right, so can we use its barb like once it's dead and thingied? Is there any poison in the barb? Or? There is, yeah. Okay, can we strip the poison out of the barb? Could I use that barb for something? Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't tie that to the end of a stick and, and use it, because they, they do actually have barbs within them, like the end of a fish hook, so they'll keep fish on, and there's no reason why that wouldn't work. We, we've never done it. We it's like a mace. It's like a mace. <clears throat> we've had one guy get stung by a stingray 10 minutes after the expedition began. Like He literally was unloading stuff from the boat and got a stingray to the foot. Fuck. So we had to put his foot in the hottest water possible and you keep on just making it hotter and hotter and that dissipates the venom. We on it? Uh, I wasn't on that trip, sadly. No. Oh, no. We should we, you should we on stuff. Oh, we on it. I thought you said why you want it. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we on it? You should we on stuff. Yeah, that's for jellyfish stings. Oh. Yeah. I think, Joe, before we have a break for adverts, we need to talk about the mind. We've sorted the big four, which was shelter, water, food, fire. But the extra one, it should be big five, Mm. because surely this fifth one is, I would actually put as number one to get yourself, your head in the right frame of mind to attack the other four to begin with, but then also give yourself some sort of time to go, how are we, how are we getting through this? What are we, what are we going to do? Yeah. So tips for us on those mind survival tips. So it really comes down to, there's, there's many different uh, traits, personality traits that make for people that do very well in survival situations. A big one is optimism, being, being an optimist and believing that you're going to make it is very important. That's you. Probably is me actually, yeah. I think I'd have to keep putting an arm around your shoulder early doors. I know. Am I going to be a burden? To no, you? you're not going to be a burden. 
because we're going to work okay? as a team. Are you okay with being the, the optimistic it's fine. one? I mean, yeah. I have my bad days, and that's maybe where you'll yeah. reverse the roles and step in. Yeah, look, we should we should have some sort of communication technique with each other. Like we give each other a percentage. You go, oh, hey mate, I'm I'm at a fifty today, and you go, don't worry about it, mate. I got the, I got the other fifty. I'm there. With, that's nice. You know, or you go, oh, I'm really struggling, mate. I'm at a twenty. So right, I'm going to pick it up with an eighty. And vice versa, you go, I'm just got 60 here. It's fine, I've got a 50 in me. Which is even better because they say give more than what you got. Having resilience, being able to always find another gear is very important. Uh, having a lot of, of patience and self compassion. Self compassion. Like okay. Yeah, when I was surviving in Canada on my own, I was always very conscious of the inner mind because I was totally on my own for over a month. You know, the only person I was hanging out with was myself. And so I needed to, yeah, to be kind to myself. It, it really helps. That's a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge, to, Tommy. Like you, you are you are clearly extraordinarily good at what you do. But for a lot of people, that idea of spending a month in very difficult conditions, even with one or two people, would be very difficult. But to do so by yourself. So how did you manage? It? In a way, it's easier than with people, isn't it? Because um, it's just you. Yeah, I I never really got lonely. I my own company. Maybe I'm an only child. Uh, I. I never really found the isolation a big deal. Kept myself busy all the time. Like every day I would go out fishing for four hours. You're talking about the uh, the mental aspect of it. And I actually entered a place where I felt the happiest I've ever felt in my life. Because this kind of, you know, we live for 99% of our existence as hunter-gatherers. You know, that's our genetic normal. What we, How we live now is actually very abnormal to how we evolved. And when you go back to this very simple state of being in nature, and living simplicity, I end, I just felt this wonderful like meditative state, this elated like happiness. Once once I caught enough food, that was, and I had like all this smoked fish, um, in in my shelter, and I knew I had like money in the bank. Effectively, I felt just incredible. And then also from, I think from eating this really clean diet out there of just literally living off roots and leaves and berries and fish and nothing else, my gut biome had this total reset. And again, like I think we make serotonin and things in in the in the gut, and I, I started to feel like the happiest and healthiest I've ever felt in my life. And so this became, I think, a flywheel. And I was also, again, like sleeping so well because there's no no technology, no artificial light, so your circadian rhythm becomes very natural. And so I, just all of this combined, I, honestly, I wanted to be out there way longer. I was really quite pissed off when the TV show finished and I was told that I'd won because I wanted to do like another 20, 30 days. It sounds a bit arrogant. But um, I don't know what it'd be like once I got really hungry and pushed up against my limits. You know, I'm sure I'd have wept. Right, Joe. You're someone who's had their ups and downs in life. How would you find it to be on your own for well, that the, period the of time? The way Survival Tom's just described that, I was like, I need a bit of that. And I've, I've experienced... Oh, I say I haven't. The only thing I can sort of relate it to is whenever I go sea bobbing. So I'll go down on, on a Sunday morning, either on my own or with my brother-in-law, and I'll get in the sea. It started because I was chasing the cold water, the rush that you get on the, the back of it. Mm. But then it evolved into this sort of nature, losing myself in it. I'd look out at the sea and see nothing. It was just vast amounts of water. And I was like, fucking hell, this is really just put so much perspective and cal calmness on me where I was like, everything that was going around in my head just seemed insignificant and I just, because I was just a tiny speck in, in the grand scheme of things. And then if I'm a tiny speck, then the, the shit that's going on in my head is even smaller and insignificant. Yeah. So then the way you just described being marooned on your own, being happy with it, I was like, fuck it. Maybe I should try a bit more of that. Do you know what I mean? I think with, we all... With food. I, I like the bit that you finished it with food. Yeah. I think we all need it, you know. We're so hyper-connected. You know, we've got a little mobile phone device that's constantly giving us dopamine. Even when we think we're resting, we're like, oh yeah, I'd put on the telly. Or I'd listen to a podcast to go to sleep. We never really allow ourselves that downtime. Like, historically, we would always, you know, sit around the fire with that low light. Maybe you're finishing off the handle on your on your blade, your whittling or whatever. And we, we allowed ourselves time for kind of more boredom and, and low stimulation. I think the brain apparently has like these two states of beta waves, which is when you're like uppy and doing things and busy um, or watching telly. And then alpha waves, which is if you're meditating, going for a walk in nature, maybe you're surfing or, or, or bobbing or whatever, like you're in that kind of flow state. And that 
alpha wave time apparently is really important for our brain. It's like a massage for our brain. It allows it to do repair and certain things. And we never really have that time anymore. Like, we're just always on and hyper-connected. And when we have people on the desert island, I think it takes like three or four days and then they really feel like a change, a real big change. I think that, that time away from technology, that time in nature, they're just like, oh, I literally have nothing and I feel the happiest I've ever felt in my life. And, uh, I, you know, I think revisiting that is our, more of our natural home than how we live now in our hyper-comfortable way. It's, it's really beneficial. I think we, we should do it, Tom. I think we should do it. I don't think we should do it together. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I don't. I think, we could, I think it could deepen our relationship even further. No. Okay, I got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, have you ever been camping? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and where you've just fucked off, no phone, no nothing, you're just camping, and you're spending time with the people. I know it's different because you're still spending time, but most of the time when we go camping, we'd get round this fire, and we'd just go find loads of bits of wood, and we'd get a pen knife or a sharp knife, or whatever, and we'd just be sitting there sharpening these bits of wood. We'd fucking, like, tens, twenties of these bits of wood doing nothing apart from that and we'd, it would just be so calming and nice and I just want to go find some wood now <laughs> with my knife and do some whittling I want to whittle some wood it's another wanking euphemism <laughs> I was going somewhere and survival Tom is fucking bringing this pod down <laughs> I think we need to have a break to come back with some more professional questions what do you think let's do it I'll take us into the break then with my best version of Kirsty Gallagher what was her name? Kirsty Gallagher, unusual choice, was... Young? Kirsty Young, yes. These are the adverts. Not massively Kirsty Young, was it? Like, <laughs> if you hadn't flagged it... I said I could only do my best, and that was my best Kirsty Young. Didn't want to do any Scottish accent for Kirsty Young. Is she Scottish? All right. Not that Scottish. All right. These are the adverts. All right, this episode, right, is sponsored by Talking to the Songbird Yesterday. It's Alec Nightingale. To be more like Alec, go to patreon.com forward slash things people do. Become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. So those were the adverts. I would like to know about the animals that you have encountered on these islands. I think I know one that's going to particularly interest you. So on our Panama island, we, we didn't know this until about 15 expeditions there, um, and someone got a nasty bite, and then we found the culprit. And uh, it was a Brazilian wandering spider, which is one of the most venomous spiders uh, there is, and it's quite aggressive. It puts its hind front legs up. It's, it's not, not a pleasant spider. How big? Oh, um, best part of a fist. The interesting thing about the Brazilian wandering spider is that one of the side effects when it bites you is you get what's called priapism. Priapism is Ooh. a 24-hour erection that won't go away that's extremely painful. So it's very painful, but you have a boner for 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. Swings and roundabouts? Would you take that, Joe? You know, before the break, when I said <laughs> we'd come back <laughs> out with more professional questions, we've tried, and the guest has taken us back to the gutter, and I fucking love it. Where do I get these spiders? <laughs> Can we you buy these spiders? <laughs> How painful is painful? I, I mean, I'm, I haven't, I can't speak from uh, personal experience, but we've had two people that have been bitten. They said they, you know, they struggled to sleep the first, uh, first night. I mean, with 24-hour reaction, sleep is not your primary concern. I was actually having dinner the other night with a couple of friends, and we were talking about she used to work in a was it Annie something to do with that, and how she, her or her friend had experienced someone that came in with a engorged penis that it had for 24 hours, and I was like, well, what the fuck do you do with that, like? chuck a load of ice on it or we're not wasting our ice by the way no no so can't can't use that um and then she said no you have to make an incision oh, and, no. and drain it drain and you're it. like what she's like well yeah because it's engorged from all the blood and the and you have to drain it and then it gradually comes down so survival time if that happens again just get some of that are there any shells in panama <laughs> i mean we'll, we'll have knives and scalpels oh, you've got don't knives. worry okay you just we'll, we'll, we'll come at the uh, the castaway how do you explain that to a, a guest who's presumably paying a decent fee that you're going to take a scalpel to their penis they definitely are not going to take a scalpel <laughs> to their penis <laughs> 
So, um, I mean, what should we move on? Oh, other animals, so, are there any other animal so, encounters? Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a in Tonga. We have a, a giant centipede called a malocca, which also gives it excruciating. How giant a centipede uh, is best this? Best part of a foot. A foot long centipede. Yeah. But I mean, generally, we choose islands that don't have deadly animals, and so the, these. So we we avoid anywhere that has uh, venomous snakes, but there are always you know a few. A few nasty. What can that centipede do to you? It's just excruciatingly painful. Just. Yeah, and it can be a bit aggressive, apparently. So it'll just <laughs> it'll come at you. Yeah, you'll be you'll be sleeping, and it'll be like, I'll have none of that, and and have a little bite. Hence the hammock. Yeah, yeah. So you want to be off the ground. So the islands you've had, there's one in Panama. Where was the other ones? One in the Philippines. And Philippines. One in Tonga. So Tonga, you had with the centipede. Yeah. And it's not big for monkeys in Tonga, is it? No. Panama to my knowledge, is, isn't big for monkeys. Philippines? Any monkeys in the Philippines? Mm, not on the islands that we have. Any monkey issues? Because whenever I think of islands and coconut trees, I go, well, obviously there's monkeys. Where there's coconuts, there's monkeys. Yeah, I checked out an island in Indonesia when we were looking for new ones. I went with my family and my six-year-old boy. We had noticed that our bag was get, with the food was... Uh, getting attacked and I hadn't seen any monkeys and then like on the third day I was fishing and a monkey appeared up on the rock it's like okay that's that's the culprit you know generally monkeys aren't going to be a problem but they you know they're smart and they're going to come after your food stash for sure if we were an island and say there's a monkey on it wouldn't we try and befriend it maybe we, we've evolved from <laughs> absolute monkeys. derision from survival time of that idea well no, it's not crazy so there are his first reaction would was, say otherwise I heard a snort of derision in, I, in Sri Lanka there are coconut groves where they have trained the monkeys to go and fetch the coconuts for them and they go and bring them down for example I wouldn't need that because I've got Tom so Tom would do that so I'd actually use the time to maybe communicate with the monkey mm. and get him to I don't know be my friend whilst you're off getting the coconuts what would you do with the monkey? Well, I've, I've been on the islands off the coast of Malaysia where I'd always loved monkeys growing up. I always thought they were the cheeky chappies of nature. Yeah. Changed my opinion on those islands, Joe. Why? What do they do? They were rabid thieves. <laughs> no food stuff was safe from those monkeys. Once but you've seen you a monkey take your last packet of biscuits and when you try to shoo it away, it's pulled back its lips to reveal some pretty sharp teeth. <laughs> and you shat yourself, it's a game changer. It shit itself. I shat myself. Oh, you shit yourself. Well, that's probably what put it off. That's why it's not being friendly, because you can't control your gut. the speed those boys can move, okay. clearly they can do things we can't do. So monkeys aren't too dangerous, but they're not there for befriending. No, I wouldn't befriend them. What about the scuttlers? Other scuttlers, creepy crawlies? Other ones we need to worry about. Yeah. And uh, we've got scorpions. Um, we've had a few people, but they're generally not too bad. I mean, we don't, we don't have the, the highly toxic scorpions. And that's about it, really. Like, there's not... Not nothing else too scuttly to worry about. So aside from the the incident with the two women and the spider bite, yeah, and the barb of one of your castaways getting barbed. Any other had, accidents? Yeah, we've had two more evacuations. One guy managed to put a fish hook for his finger past the barb, and we offered to cut the eyelet off and take it out for him, but he he preferred to go to the clinic and get that done. And then the other one was um, this twat sat opposite you um, was on my very as on my third ever trip, I was running it on my own. We always have two instructors, but I was bootstrapping the business right at the beginning and I was running a solo expedition. I had these eight uh, Danish entrepreneurs and the very first night I had this torrential rainstorm and I was like, oh shit, the shelter's not... Um, it's letting in water, so I was like, okay, we need to split some wood. Got my freshly sharpened machete and started batoning down and splitting wood. And my hand in the rain slipped off the handle and cut straight through my flexor tendon on my finger. And I realised straight away I'd, I'd done a nasty cut and it won't go straight. Fuck, what's wrong with your finger? <laughs> it won't go straight anymore because I cut the tendon. And um, so yeah, I had to go and get that one stitched up and then come back and, and run the expedition. And I remember doing a, a bow drill fire demonstration the next day. I was like, it was killing, but and then I felt it pop and open up, and then the blood was <laughs> dripping off my elbow. Um, and I was like, don't put the fire out, must stoically continue. And that was honestly like the, the deepest I've had to dig like to carry on with that trip. How many trips have you done in all? As a company, we've done like best part of 100. I've probably done like 20 or 15 or 20 or so. Well, considering like the amount you've done, chopping your tendon figures, yeah, not bad going, no? I also feel here, Joe, when we've been, not negative, but we've looked at some of the downsides. Let's talk upsides. If you are out there on these islands, like you said, there's no light pollution, there are no passing ships. Like, How wonderful does it become? It really, I mean, I was talking about how good it is for our mental health. It, for, for me, it really is magic to, to get so up close to nature. 
to be in the domain of of these animals is is something that's wonderful about it. Every expedition, the island gives up secrets that we we may have not seen before. Like one day, I remember just sitting there and you could hear it sounded like rain coming in, and then we realized, wait a minute. It's these crabs, and there's these things called Halloween moon crabs that are having a migration. They're purple and orange. And there's about 10,000 of them coming through the leaf litter of the jungle. And it's just like, this incredible noise. And suddenly they were up every tree and all around us. I mean, some people would find it utterly horrific and terrifying, but just that you have these moments that you would never normally witness. And then other days where we've had like these nesting turtles, just a big loggerhead turtle pop up and, and laying its eggs next to us and just being able to watch that. And and then having the young coming out and, and hatching and making their way down to the beach and swimming in phosphorescent plankton. So for me, like, the nature is is a big part of it. But, but yeah, just slowing down. Like, we were saying as well, like, that time without technology when you're all sat around the fire. It's a really... It's a lovely time to connect with people and meet people. Like, people... They share so much more, there's so much more vulnerability and they open up. And yeah, our castaways tend to be, they're just like a tight tribe by the end of it. There's that shared adversity of what they've done together. This episode is sponsored by the following delightful people. In Dictionary Corner, it's John and Victoria Collins. To be or not to be? Jake Hamnett. The Stiff Meister, Robin Stiff. Cat East Hopes and Dreams. Oh, so quiet. It's Gareth Burke. Take that, James Barlow. The Dragon, William Welsh. Whoa, Chris Getty. Bam, a lamb. Welsell, Neil. Jade Ingram and Cy Waderson. Go on, my son. It's Andrew Harrison. Comedy, Dave Carr. And the Cookie Monster, Darren Linden. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash things people do. Become an official sponsor, get bonus content, and grow the show today. I was just watching Society of the Snow, the remake of Alive, the Uruguayan oh, rugby yeah. team that crash landed in the Andes and then obviously had to eat some of the passengers. And the only um, the reason that they one of the reasons they did so well was because they were such a well trained rugby team together. They had that cohesion. And they don't reckon like average people that didn't know each other would have would have survived in that situation. But as a full rugby team, you know, they had the right mental attributes and funnily enough, friends. I actually met one of the survivors. No way! Yeah, I was on tour in Argentina in 2013 and we played a a Uruguayan 15, like a barbarians type side. And then at the aftermatch function, going around meeting all the different dignitaries of the Uruguayan rugby union and stuff. And we're ch- chatting to this older fella, sort of broken English and yeah, just nodding away politely. We were just trying to get some scran in us and carry on. And then the team manager came over after he'd left and they went, you know who that was, don't you? I went, Uruguayan president or something like that? And they were like, no. And they told us the whole story about him being a member of the Alive team. And I went, for fuck's sake, why have you told us that now? Like, he's a, he's a cannibal. He's Hannibal. He's like Hannibal, the cannibal. And I would have probably just gone, no, fuck off. I'm not having it. Now I know, now I know they were in a desperate situation. But Tom, put yourself in their shoes just for a second. Are you eating me? How long have you been dead for? Oh, I'm dead. Am I dead? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not dead. eating you alive. No, I know, but oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'm dead. Have if you, you killed di- me, or have I died in the plane? That's. I'm not going to kill you to eat you. That's a line. You couldn't far. do it. No. Okay. Not in that situation. We're back on our pirate island. Mm-hmm. We've been marooned. I'm blue. You're red. Red. Yeah. yeah we, we, we're really struggling. We've killed the boars and the monkey and all the fish. The fish is gone now. It's bad. There's no coconuts left, so we've got no water or 98% fat from the thing. And No Thai green curries. No Thai green curries, no lemongrass. Shit. And what else was there that was there you can't eat? No, no, all the limes are gone. They're all gone. The kraken? Kraken's gone too. Mm. It's all gone. Pissed as a fart. We're at our lowest, lowest point. Are you killing me? No. I think I'd, I'd kill you. Okay. I think I'd have to. It'd barely be worth your while, look at me. There's enough on you, mate. Mm. I think I would. I think I could. Okay. Do you genuinely think you couldn't kill me? I'm not going to kill you to eat you. Like, if you befell, an accident befell you and an act of nature, whatever it was, had killed you and then I had to eat you, could I do it? Is it, it bad that I would do it to you? That you'd kill me to eat me, yes. That's pretty bad. 
survival Tom's sitting there like, fucking hell, I'm not sure about this guy coming on any of my expeditions now. <laughs> it's, it's pretty literally the worst thing you could do. So the person you've been marooned with and they survived with for a, a number of months because of our supplies, you've got the lowest ebb and rather than try and so see it out together, you're going to fucking murder me in my sleep. <laughs> okay, I take that back. I wouldn't. What, what about just a couple of slices off each other? What? Just like... I'll give you a bit, you give me a bit. That's more like it. Yeah? Yeah, that's Deal. fine. Talking of our pirate island, on your islands that you've been, have you ever had any trouble with locals or even pirates? If not, I don't mean like Blackbeard and that, but... Yeah, yeah, we... Well, it's one of the things we have to factor in when choosing an island. Like, there's lots of islands that would look ideal on paper in the South China Sea, but there's still piracy. Obviously, off Somalia, there's a lot of piracy. And yeah, recently in Panama, last season, in fact, there was... Um, a couple of incidents of piracy where people and their, their catamarans were being robbed. Um, and so we we had an expedition coming up and we, we were particularly worried about this and we had to get the local navy to do patrols of the island um, to make sure that we were safe. So yeah, piracy is, is something we still have to consider. And there's also cartels running drugs in that part of the world as well. So some of the islands further south in the archipelago would be brilliant, but we're told that it's a bit too dangerous with narcos. So we, we stick a little further north in the uh, I mean, that would, change, that would change the whole experience of being marooned. There's an <laughs> island where someone goes, I found something! Oh. Square grouper. <laughs> what? Square grouper, they call it, when you find a bale of cocaine. Square grouper? Yeah. I used to live in Honduras for seven months when I was like 20, and um, I was talking to the boat driver. Who's, we were like mapping coral and stuff. I forgot his name, Pedro. Um, I was like, Pedro, like, <laughs> you've got basically living in corrugated iron huts, but then they've got this huge satellite dish, massive TV and perfect basketball court. I was like, I mean, how do you do this? And like, well, now, Tom, every now and again, we don't just catch a normal grouper, we catch the square grouper. And they would get these bundles of cocaine that would, would rock up on their, on their coastline. And, uh, and sell them, and, and it would go into the community. They would buy something for the local community. Community cocaine. Like, community <laughs> cocaine, doing good. I literally thought, oh, so it's doing good for the community, actually. I mean, they get a bad rap, these cartels, but... <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. What about uh, other stuff that's not uh, from the gift of nature? So I will tell them that you've found on desert islands. Um... I mean, it's depressing how much plastic, obviously, there really? is. Like, even the most remote islands in Tonga is still... I mean, I find hypodermic needles and, and things like this, that everything will wash up. The coolest thing i found is much nicer. I found the uh, vertebrae of a whale. So it's about nearly two foot wide, um, this beautiful vertebrae. Uh, did you manage to bring it back with you? We were just... fucking idiots. And we used it for cracking almonds on and then oh. broke it into. I don't understand how I could have... Done that, and it really it kills me. We were me. fucking idiots for trying to survive but on this desert we island. Could have used rather rocks. than taking it back. Oh yeah, oh, we yeah. could have used rocks. We were just it was like, yeah, oh, but... that's there. It's like a footstool. Yeah, we, we find like cool things. Like I've never found ambergris. I really want to find obviously ambergris. Um, that's the sorry what sperm whale vomits. What they make? Um, they make perfume from. It's unbelievably so ambergris. Yeah, they they. Sperm whales eat lots of giant squid and the bills, the beaks of the giant squid make like a ball effectively in their stomach and then every like 10 years or whatever they'll vomit up this weird stinking ball and somehow, I don't understand why, but this is a prime ingredient for perfume. And so like one kilo is worth more than gold is like hundreds of thousands of quid and you find it washed up on remote beaches. I want amber grease. I want to go find this amber grease. It's like the truffle whale, of the ocean. Whale sick. Whale sick. That's fucking cool. And the thought of a whale eating a giant squid as well. Oh. Can we produce something like that? <laughs> what if I eat loads what if I eat loads of squid? Yeah. You know, the deep fried squid rings. Oh fucking hell. A bit of calamari. Yeah, a bit of calamari. What if I eat like tons of that? Could I then create some sort of ball and then I mean this is above my pay grade now. Oh, it's above it. See? It's above it. I mean these are real it's worth a big pop, philosophical though, questions we're asking here. Before we record the next episode, yeah. get as much calamari down as possible. Let's see what happens. Don't ask me twice. <laughs> um, wrapping up now, Tom. Three items you're allowed to take on this desert island. Three. You've got to choose. What are you taking? Okay. Um, I'm taking this as a different question to the desert island. This luxury item. I'm seeing this survival, Tom, as essential items. So help me out here. Well, it's up to you, mate. Massive knife. Yeah. I don't go massive. I don't like the big hunting knives. Oh. I like I like something a bit smaller, personally. Okay. A, a, a nice small knife. Or a machete. <laughs> that's number one. I'm getting a some sort of flint set. So I don't have to do the 
fire plough thing. Were you thinking fire plow, more... We've just been taught the fire plough. Are you thinking more like, do I want like a CD player or something? What's up to you, mate? It's three items. I'll tell you what I would like, actually. I'd like some way of recording my experience. You want to go on TV? No. Maybe either. I've got like an enormous notepad and a number of biros I'm not going to run out so I can record my thoughts and experiences. Good, because you can use the biros for other things as well. Stabbing things. Yeah. Or maybe some sort of portable recording device so I can do an audio diary. Somewhere of recording my thoughts and experiences, Joe. Okay. What about you? Uh, Why do I feel this is going to be totally different? No, I've put some thought into it. Metal detector. Okay, yeah. Uh, bing, bing. You know, when you see, because yeah. like, there'll be some fucking cool shit under there, aside from all the shitty plastic and the Whale vertebra, like, gonna have some fun doing that. Magnet fish fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got one at home. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm fucking ready. I did have one of those uh, metal detectors, but it ran out of battery. And then my, I've got a new set of knives, like a set. Like, so there's a bread knife. That'd little, be useful. A little paring knife. What do you mean? Wait, where are you getting your bread from? Yeah, it's a serrated blade, Tom. Okay. So it helped me cut through wood better. Wouldn't it, survival, Tom? Yep. <laughs> Not sure, is he? Not sure. No, but I probably wouldn't take the knives because I'd be able to use the, the shells and that lot of the crabs that I eat to then sharpen. What about a nice hoodie? A hoodie? Well, actually, a pillow. <laughs> you said about sleeping yeah, being wanna, important. you want to sleep well. You know, I want to sleep, sleep well, I'm taking a pillow. Magnet fishing, pillow, metal detector. Genius. Survival time, your three items, please. I mean, when I did the thing in Canada, I was allowed to choose ten items. What, that thing in Canada, is that the TV Alone. show? Alone? Yeah. Talk us about that bit. So... Basically, 10 people were dropped off in the middle of nowhere and separated from each other. So I was totally on my own, no film crew, just me and a camera. And I was allowed to take 10 items to help me survive as long as possible uh, in the wild. So, And what were your 10 items? My Do you 10 remember items them? were a axe, a saw, a multi-tool, like mm. a leatherman, a, a cast iron cooking pot. <sighs> a, cast iron? Surely it's too heavy. Oh, but heavy was fine. It was. Oh, like, heavy. it didn't. You're strong really, enough. Yeah. I didn't really. I only had to carry it about ten meters to the river and back. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I took a fishing kit, which is just some line and twenty-five hooks. I took a fishing net, paracord, which is rope basically, and some snare wire. Oh, and a sleeping bag. Fucking hell, you're well kitted. I know. No wonder you survived. Generous you, and you won it. Yeah, I won it. What the fuck did everyone else take then? I mean, they basically everyone took pretty much exactly the same. I, I, one person took a bow and arrow instead of a fishing net. I wish I'd done that in hindsight. Really? There were grouse everywhere. I didn't back myself as a bow hunter because I'd only done like one day training and I thought, you know, I'm never going to get within 20 metres of a deer. Delusional to think that. But there were these grouse just everywhere. I could have I could have easily nailed like 10 of them. I did accidentally catch a duck in my net though on day 25 and I'd just eaten pike and leaves and berries for 25 days and then I ate this duck and like, roast duck is my favourite food in the normal world but when you eat roast duck when all you've eaten is that oh my god it was the most incredible meal of my life like you're already your senses are so heightened you know you smell more you hear more you see more but then when you eat something that has all these trace minerals and fats and salts that your body hasn't had for like nearly a month it was honestly like hunger is the best sauce like it was like a triple Michelin star experience it was just I was weeping into my bowl as I ate this thing I was like I'll only eat half and save it tomorrow Fuck no. I just devoured <laughs> this whole thing. It was fucking amazing. Like, Tom, are you sitting there going, how the fuck could you eat a duck? No, I've, I mean, I've been vegetarian now for pretty much 30 years. And that duck sounds absolutely delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so eating Joe is a bit more challenging as a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to come on one of these expeditions. Oh, I'd love to have you. Joe. So how can I go about booking that? Yeah, so you can go to desertislandsurvival.com and, uh, and yeah, choose your destination. And... Out of all the islands you've got, what's, what's the best one? What's, what's your favourite? I mean, Tonga is, if you if you don't care about the travel time, because it is like 40 hours to get there yeah. from here, Tonga is sensational. Um, we swim with humpback whales mm -hmm. on the first day, which is which is magical. And, uh, what do you mean you swim with them? Their mothers are, are nursing their young. They give birth to their young and nurse them. And so you can get in the water and you can swim with the mother and the calf. I just did it in July and the, the mother kind of keeps its distance, but the calf is like a three-ton puppy and it just swims up to us. It's like two weeks old. And it's like, look at me, I've got these fins. And I thought it was going to go straight into me. But honestly, it was a mind-blowing experience. Um, so you yeah, go we... do that, Tom? Yes. Yes, I <laughs> go yes, there. I do. And they talk. Uh, yeah, so we, when we go snorkeling as well, you go down, hold onto a rock, and you can hear them. You can, you can hear them, which is really nice. <laughs> he speaks wild. <laughs> I would fucking love that.
it sounds incredible. Is that what you're doing just sounds brilliant? No, oh, thanks. Brilliant fun, but also the things that you've touched on through this episode is quite powerful as well. Survival, Tom. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't feel like I've talked much about survival. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you've been but brilliant, yeah, mate. No, thank it's been you. Great. I've really fun. enjoyed it. Thank lovely. you so much. I'm a survivor. That was really good. Keep going. What's the next line? I don't. Everyone's goes. I ain't gonna give up. I'm a survivor. Ain't gonna give up. I'm a survivor. Keep on surviving. I'm a survivor. Don't take shit from no one. That was your single best vocal performance of the entire podcast. <laughs> Seriously, because you, you commit to it. Because sometimes yeah. you get a bit shy and you back oh. off, or you do your falsetto, which is nice. That was pure passion. That had soul. Oh, it really means a lot to me, Tom. From the music man in my life, and it seems heartfelt, it seems genuine. You're not genuine, me, are you? No. Follow up. Obviously, Beyonce. Yeah. And you name the other two members of the final iteration of Destiny's Child Kelly Rowland. Mm -hmm. Don't know the other one. Michelle. Everyone forgets Michelle. Keegan. Not Keegan. <gasps> no, she was in. Michelle Keegan. Have you seen Fool Me Once? No. Oh, it's a Netflix series out now. I'm hooked. I'm addicted. Really? Fucking brilliant. Headlines? Uh, she is a captain in the army, but is discharged. Not sure. Mm, under a cloud. Yeah, not sure about that yet. We find out a bit more. And it opens with her burying her husband. Lord. Yeah. In the same... Legit burial or backwards? Legit burial. Okay. As in, he's dead, he's in the ground. Then later on in the episode, her she's got a nanny for her daughter. And her daughter, a friend of her gives her a secret camera in this photo frame to just keep tabs on the... She was like, I don't need to do that. She was like, oh, come on, it's just for safety because her husband died from being attacked oh. and shot. No. So it's a bit of a thing like that. And so just for safety. And then she looks back at the video that evening from the day's nannying and her husband what? is on the video. Her husband's on the video. <laughs> her husband's on the video. Why has he just gone back to the old house? It's stupid. Come on, the neighbours could have seen it. Uh, that's not the weirdest point. The weirdest point is he's dead. I know, that's, but that's so obvious. And you've gone, like, why no, didn't he go back? Why has he gone back there? <laughs> but, if he's, but if he's gone to the bother of being dead, which clearly he's not dead, but being buried alive. Or is he? Is she hallucinating and stuff? Anyway, that's get onto that if you have... What's it called again? Fool Me Once. On... Netflix. Gotcha. Michelle Keegan, not of Destiny's Child. I have a reminder as well, Joe. Our next live show at the Clapham Grand is only a few weeks away. Our show with Mike Bubbins and Jen Brister, let's be honest, was superb. And we have another couple of excellent guests lined up, comedians Fern Brady and Kay Curd. If you would like to come and watch Things People Did on February the 13th, ooh, go and get your tickets. They are very cheap, Joe. Where can they be found? It's not a Friday, is it? No, luckily it's not. So I didn't need to do the gulp, actually. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. Well, if you do want to come to the 13th of February showing, which isn't a Friday, it's a Tuesday, then the tickets are only £15 and 5 pence. Remarkable. Yeah, you're right, Tom. It is remarkable. Cheap as chips. Joe, I shall see you then, if not before. I once had a mate say, one of the boys asked him when his birthday was, and he turned around and said, oh, it's on 13th of March. He went, oh, really? Yeah, I hope it's not Friday the 13th. Just cut that story. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten the story. <laughs> <laughs> but you carried on with it. Because I thought I'd get it back. <laughs> but it was gone. Goodbye. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Podcast Network.